0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. If you have your Bibles, or if you want to follow along, we'll we'll start by reading uh, from Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 13 to 22, as we... uh, Follow Moses as he's still at the burning bush. Uh, let's start by reading the passage, uh, if you'll follow. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when, you go, and when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians." So, uh, Moses is still at the burning bush, and uh, it's the second of, of five que- key questions that Moses asks God in this interchange. Uh, last week, we looked at his first question. God appears, and he calls uh, Moses to go in God's power to redeem and rescue the Israelites, to lead them up out of Egypt into this land of promise. Uh, and, of course, Moses' first reservation is, God... Who am I to stand before Pharaoh? You know, who am I to talk to the mightiest man in all of the world at that time and tell him what to do? And God assured him, he says, You're not going in your strength. You are just a bush. You're going in the glory and fire of my power. I will be with you. Uh, so then we come to this passage where Moses uh, has his second question. Um, and in, in, in short, the question is... Um, you know, God. What is what is your name? What is your name? Um, and I titled this message, what, "What's in a Name?" Uh, what is in a name? Why why does why does God or why does Moses care what God's name is? Um, does it mean that up to this point the Israelites did not have a name for God? Well, we know they did. Actually, they called God by several names: El Elion, El Shaddai. Actually, the name Yahweh uh, was known by Abraham. Um, so, so why is Moses asking this question? Well, uh, it's important for us to kind of, you know, one of the key principles of understanding the Bible is not so much what does this mean to me, and if you're in a Bible study and that's like the first question you ask, well, what does this mean to me? Shame on you! Just shame on you! Right? That should not be the question. The first question should be, what did this mean to the original hearers? Right? Because that's really. The, t- the message, okay? So, so we, we have to kind of step back and ask a little bit, what did this name thing mean to Moses? What did it mean to the Israelites? Because it probably means something very different than what it does to us. In our time and, and culture, a uh, name functions pretty much simply to distinguish you from all the other people, right? So, uh, which one of the, you know, tall white guys are you? <laughs> I'm the one that's called Tim, right? Whereas Aiden, my grandson, used to say when he was really little, he would call he called all men the Tim ones. <laughs> there was boys, there was girls, there were ladies, and then there were you know, adult men were Tim ones, right? Uh, you know, which one of all the Tim ones are you, right? Um, and that's kind of the function for a name for us. It's it's how we friend people on Facebook. <laughs> Got another name. Although it turns out there's twenty of me on Facebook, so even that has its limits, right? But but for us a name is not a terribly big deal. And for most of us, probably, as we think about the names of God, it's like, well, yeah, he's got lots of them. I can't pronounce most of them. I don't know what any of them mean. And so I'm just sticking with God, right, or Jesus. And it probably doesn't mean that much to us. But it meant something to Moses. And it actually, um, what it meant is, is important for us. And it's significant that God picks the names that he picks, and he has a purpose and reason for it. And so we want to un- unpack that. We want to find out what did it mean for them. Why was this so important? Is is Moses simply asking which of the many gods in the world of that day, many of the gods that they worship, which one are you? How can I s- distinguish you from all the others? Or is Moses asking something else? Well, I think he's asking something else. And, and it, in short, he's really asking God, really, who are you? Right? Who are you? Um, and in, 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 in Moses' day, and in Egypt, and in that world, unlike today, everybody believed in, that the world was filled with all kinds of gods. Okay, in that day and age, there was no, atheists had not been invented yet. Nobody knew what an atheist was. Everybody believed not just in a god, but in lots of gods. Dozens of them, if not hundreds or thousands. And it's how they understood that the world operated and worked. And they uh, identified the forces of nature as being, con- being controlled, not by physics, but by, by deities, by gods. Um, Egypt had at least 13 major gods, plus countless other gods. Um, and so Moses is not asking, which one of the many, many gods are you? Right? That's really not what's at the heart of his question. Um, really, this is what Moses is asking who, who are you? Who, are, who is the God of Israel that you would be able to overcome and defeat the gods and power of Egypt? That's really what Moses is asking. And, and think about this: Okay, God says, "Go to Pharaoh." Okay, the the largest, most powerful nation in the world of that day dominated all the other nations, right? And they their worldview was that. The gods of Egypt had given them that power, that kind of victory. That they had powerful, mighty gods who were at work and, and, uh, in the force behind Egypt. So that Egypt was powerful, not because it had democracy, because it had a good king, because it had good economic, you know. Uh, that, the, that the dollar was really strong, had a good foreign trade policy. No, they believed Egypt was what it was because its gods were p- more powerful than the gods of all the other countries and nations. So Moses says, look, you want me to go and you want me to take on Egypt and all of its gods? Who are you? Right? I'm nobody. And quite honestly, you know, you're the God of Israel, you're the God of a group of slaves who are homeless, who don't have their, who don't even have their own property, right? Um, it's a good question, right? God, who are you? What is your, what is your name? In other words, what is your reputation? What is it about you that it's going to? I'm going to go to the Israel, I'm going to go to Pharaoh, and I'm going to throw down your name and say, I'm, you know, this is who is telling you and commanding you because um, kind of what is behind Moses' question is, well, I don't know if you've got what it takes, God. I don't know if you're big enough. I know I'm not, and I know you promised to go with me, but who are you? <laughs> who are you? Right? So he doesn't, he doesn't just want to know his name. It's not just so that you know, I can make a name tag. that's <laughs> appropriate. But he wants to know, you know, God, what do you have that is greater than all the gods of Egypt combined? That I can go with confidence that we can do this. That's what's really behind his question. Um, and so, uh, so, so God uh, does give him his name. He says, "You know, I am. I am who I am." Uh, what, what is God revealing in His name? What is God communicating? And He as He gives Moses this this very unique name. Well, uh, to understand that. Uh, we need to know that the names of most of the pagan gods, in fact, all the pagan gods, all the gods of Egypt, uh, designated something about the realm in which they operated and the sphere of their power. So the gods, as they conceived of them in their time and their day, they didn't picture gods as being omniscient, uh, omnipresent, right, everywhere and all powerful. They saw gods as having more power than human beings, but not infinite, unlimited power each of the gods operated in their own unique sphere and realm so for example ra the sun deity of egypt one of the one of the main primary gods of egypt was the sun deity right so the sphere of this god's power was where the sun right the sun and specifically he was the sun god the sun deity who was uh, king of the gods of egypt so he was not only somehow in the realm of the sun, you know, that's the sphere of power that he used, but he lived in Egypt. Right? He hung out in Egypt. And, and he was king of the gods of Egypt. So he was localized. He was limited. Another uh, one of Egypt, uh, the Egyptian gods was Amon, uh, who was the god of the wind and the breath of life. And uh, he lived not just in Egypt, he actually lived in Thebes, which is a city in Egypt. Right? So that's how they conceived it. And so the name would, would communicate that, something of the sphere, you know, the wind god, the sun god, uh, and the locale where he would be found. Um, of course, when God gives his name, it's, it's so much more than that. Um, and names, in addition to describing kind of their sphere and their, their locale, uh, and this was true not only of God's but of people in Bible times, um, a name was, was really a description of a person's character. It, it spoke something of the nature of the person. And that's why oftentimes their names changed. And uh, you, you could get an upgrade on your name, or a downgrade, depends how it goes, I guess. Uh, so Peter goes from Simon to Peter. He gets an upgrade. Abram goes from Abram to Abraham, right? You get upgraded. Um, because it identified something of your personality, your character, who you are. Um, one commentator puts it this way about God's name, Yahweh. It says, The designation of God, specific of Yahweh, uh, explains his reputation and fame, especially as embodying the revealed character of Yahweh. The, the perfect name was this. The perfect name was something that actually embodied that the name itself so spoke of who you were that it was like an embodiment of your person, of your character. And certainly that's what, what God does when he gives Moses his name. God picks a name that actually sums up the nature of his character in being in a name. Right? So his name's a big deal, right? It's not random, it's not arbitrary. It's 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 intended to reveal something of very the very character and nature of God. Um and to expand or to build out his fame, his reputation. Right? Um, so what exactly is is revealed about the nature of God in this name, I Am? We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But, um, but So here's the dialogue. God, Moses says, Okay, God, I'll go, but if I go to the Israelites and, I, and they ask me, who, What's his name? Who, who is this God? What is his name? What shall I answer? And God Replies very short, simple answer: I am who I am. Right? It's, it's the to be verb in Hebrew, and he does it twice. I am three words. I am one is one word in Hebrew. Who I am? That's my name. My name is I am. Uh, a little few few verses down, he actually changes it. So um, without going to a lot of Hebrew, but he changes it so that it, it, when he when he uses the word Yahweh few verses down when he says, tell tell them that Yahweh sent you. It's actually the third person version of it. So it's actually He is. Right? So it's not only longer I am. It's He is. So Yahweh simply means He is. Okay, a few of you are paying attention to the Hebrew lesson. Right. Also Yahweh means. It's the it's the to be verb he is. Third person singular, if you're a, ling- a linguist. Um that's probably not what Moses was hoping for, right? Um, I'm guessing that uh, Moses, like, like most of us, I don't know how, when you read, when I read this, I'm like, okay, God, uh, I don't get it. I just don't get it. He, he is. He is, he, he is what? <laughs> right? He is what? He is. He is. Right? I'm sure Moses is probably doing the same. He's going, ah, uh, it's not really what I'm looking for. Because that's not what any god was named like, right? Uh, the, the, the names that they picked and the characters that they embodied were very visual, right? I'm sure that God was hoping for a name he could, he could image, he could imagine, he could picture, he could conceptualize, right? Something, you know, that had a, a ring to it and, and that communicated something tangible and concrete. Like, I like this one. I'm going to vote for this one. You when know, I have this conversation with God, God, why don't you go with Raging Storm God? You're right? be like a raging storm, like thunder and lightning and wind and blowing trees over and crashing stuff. I, mean, I, can, I can wrap my head around that. I like that name. Anybody vote for that one? Raging Storm God. Right? I like that. Or, um, why didn't God say, my name is devouring Lion? with teeth of razor sharp swords. A little long. Granted it's a little long, but I like the picture. Right? I like the picture. Devouring lion. Or smashing hammer. Right? God does not pick a name like that. And I'm sure like us, Moses was maybe a little frustrated. You know, names like that are visual. They give us something we can we can picture. And it communicates the sphere of his influence, you know, I'm going to smash you. I like a God with that name, especially if I'm going to go to Pharaoh. The God who says, I'm going to smash you, sent me, right? I like that. Okay, you want know me to tell him he is sent you? I mean, help me out, God, please. What is that? Well, it is actually a genius name, um, and it is genius because it does reveal a great deal about the nature and character of God. Uh, it does actually embody uh, who God is and what His revealed character is. So, um, so let's help get some help here. And uh, what exactly does I am reveal? What uh, what does it say about who God is? Well, I want to break it down and answer that in two parts. First, by uh, what it reveals about who he is, and then what it reveals about what he does. Um, so let's look at the, the, the who he is part. Um, the reality is that if, if, if you think of the name he is, what images pop into your head? Right? For me, it's just a big blank. <laughs> Maybe you're more creative than I am. But he is, it's like, it's just, it's too abstract, right? It's too undefined. It's too open-ended. And that's very intentional, right? Because that is a lot of what who God is. That is his character and nature. Later on, when, when we come back to the mountain of God and Moses ascending in this very place and God gives his ten words, his ten commands to Moses. What's the very first one? You shall make no graven images. Right? He says, it's fundamental to the very character and nature of God that God is beyond imaging. He's beyond putting into the box of a character or a figure or a shape. Right? He picked a name that was beyond all that because his character and nature is beyond all that. All the gods of the Egyptians could be easily identified. In fact, they all had um, you know images. Sometimes they were kind of composites of like part human and part animal, but they all could be imaged, could be seen. God's not like that. He's a God beyond uh, the wind and the sun and and the Nile River. He is vastly beyond anything in creation. And so first off, his name uh, intentionally gives us an image of something that is hard, or a a character of something that's hard to put into words. And so as I proceed from here, please, I I try not to lose you, but the reality is explaining his name is hard because it it really eludes description. Uh, I wish I could come up with a great image or picture or illustration that says, well, this kind of captures what he is means. But of course, to do that would be to take away the very essence of what the name is. But let's try to at least unpack it a little bit of, of what this name represents, what it is, uh, what it is a description of. Uh, and there, there's, there's whole volumes and books and you could do uh, a quite a detailed study on this. I'm summarizing a lot of material into a few words. This is not exhaustive. But here's some thoughts. First, uh, it, it is, you can you put it this way. I am, Yahweh, I am, is a description of present and active being who is the cause of all things. Okay, key words there are present and active being and who is the cause of all things. What do we mean by that? First of all, he is present. Um He didn't call himself I was or I will be. It's I am. It's it's the present tense verb of to be. He is present. Um, What that means is that it's a declaration that God exists and he exists beyond time or before time or above time or outside of time. And therefore, everything is in the present to him. Everything is always in the present to him. God can never say, oh yeah, I remember way back when. Because right? for God, everything from the beginning of creation to the end of creation is immediately and instantly present to him. Okay, Does anybody understand that? I, I understand the words. I, I can't wrap my head around it. right? Because that's not how we do life. We do life in very instant moments. Um, how, how long is this present moment? Well, I don't know, but a lot of them just went by since I said that sentence, right? What is now for you? Well, it's just this exact very fraction of a second in front of us. And it keeps popping by, right? So for us, present is very limited, very limited. In fact, if you think about this long enough, it'll drive you crazy. When does the present end and the future start, right? <laughs> can try to catch it. Ready? ready I missed it, right? Um, for God, everything is present. Everything is present. He is, in that sense, He is eternal, not just because He lived a long time, but He's eternal in, in the sense that everything is present to Him here and now. Um, that's part of what it means. So um, so for God, there's no such thing as past or present. right? There is no such thing for God. And of course, there's a the relative sense in which He... He sees the unfolding of time on earth, right? And he, uh, he, he's aware of time. Uh, so in that sense, there is past and there is future. But for him personally, it's all just present, continually, all of eternity, from before time to after time. So, uh, he, uh, so he alone can, can say, I always am. I always am, right? I, I never was. Uh, So that's that's part of what's implied in this name, the eternal, infinite nature of God. Secondly, uh, and this is not true in English, in English, the to be verb uh, simply describes a state of being, a state of existence, the way that we are. So I can say, I can say, I am happy, right? Or I can say, I am tired, What I mean by that is I am in a state of happiness, or I am in a state or condition of being tired. Or I can say I'm hungry, right? Those are defining what I'm feeling, what kind of state or condition I am in. Um, And of course, in the Hebrew, the same would be true. But the Hebrew word can also uh, be causative, which means it can also have the effect that I'm right now causing myself to be happy. You use the same word, I am. But it means something very different. It means I'm not just in a state of being happy, but I'm causing happiness to, to develop and to fill my life. Right? I'm, I'm tired. I'm causing tiredness. I don't know what that means or looks like, but that's the Hebrew conception of the word. So God is not only being, he not only exists, but he is also cause. Okay, you could translate it, some, actually some commentators will translate it this way, he doesn't say, "I am who I am." It's rather, "I cause to be all that I cause to be." Right? And that would be a legitimate translation in Hebrew. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it means that he's the cause of everything. Okay, I am the cause. Okay, I've always been, so I was never caused. i I'm eternal, existent, always in the present. It means I never had a beginning. So right so, And then this is hard for. again, this is another impossible concept for us. And if you have children, you, you love the day when your three-year-old starts th- doing cause and effect thinking and they say, Mommy, where did I come from? Right? And you try to explain that one. Well, where did you come from? And you explain, you know, Grandma, where did she come from? And finally you get tired and they say, Well, you know, we all came from God. And then what's the question? Where did God come from? Right? And it's the natural. Everything comes from something. But this name implies that he is the cause of all things, who is himself uncaused. God did not come from anything. He's always been. He's always existed. But everything, therefore, comes from him. Um, and as a result of that, because he's the cause of all things, you know, he, 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 he is active. Okay? He's a God who does stuff. He creates. He, he makes. He sustains He's the Lord and Master of everything because he made it all. He's the cause and source of it all. Uh, he's the power behind it all. Uh, so, so this should be really encouraging words for, for Moses, right? In essence, this is what God is saying. Moses, you know, you're worried about Ray, the God of the sun. You're worried about, by the way, the God of the Nile's name is Happy, Happy, the God of the Nile. You're worried about Happy, the God of the Nile. You're worried about Ammon, the God of the wind. Let me tell you where they all came from. I am. I am the cause of the wind and the Nile and the sun and the storms and the desert. I am the cause of Pharaoh. I am the cause of Egypt. Right. Believe me, I got this covered. Right. I can do this. And I am sending you out with the authority and power of the name I am. And that's what he means when, I, when he says, I'm sending you out. He says, you're going out in the very power and authority of the creator God who's eternally present in everything. Okay, I'm sending you with that authority and power to speak in my name and to set Israel free. Um, so that's what, his, that's, that's what his name describes about who he is. Now, if, if we take that seriously and we contemplate that well, we're going we're to realize that there, when it comes to knowing who God is, much of what he is is incomprehensible. Right? And I hope you kind of feel the frustration of that. It's like, I'm still not getting my head around. I'm still not wrapping my head around who God is. It should be that way. Right? He should be beyond, and he is, beyond our grasp. And so trying to figure him out will, will be uh, an impossible pursuit. But while who he is is going to always be very elusive and difficult, what he is and what he does is not. And God makes it very clear that he is an active God who is at work. And those things we can get. And he goes down, and I won't read through the whole passage again, but just notice how he uses his name as he sends Moses. In verse 12, we looked at this last week, he says, I am is with you, literally. He says, I, I will be with you. Literally, he says, I am is, is going to be with you. In verse 15, he says, I am, to tell them, I am sent you. right?" And you go in, the, in power and authority of I am. In verse 15, he switches and he starts using the third person form, the Yahweh. And he says, Yahweh is the God of your fathers. And this is the name by which you are to remember me forever. Tell the, tell the elders, Yahweh sees what's happening. And Yahweh is going to keep his promises. Okay, Yahweh is going to bring you up out of Egypt and take you to this land of milk and honey. Yahweh is going to bless you. Right? Okay, can we understand this? Even I can understand this, right? It's is a lot easier. Uh, what God does is real and tangible to us. He's a God who rescues. He's a God who saves. He's a God who works in the lives of his people. He's a God who is going to defeat the Egyptians. And he talks about them, plundering them. That When they leave, you're not going to leave empty-handed. You're going to go to the Egyptian housewives and you're going to say, Hey, you know, we're going on a journey. Got anything you could send us with? And they're going to pile you up with gold and silver and clothes. They're going to empty out their treasures and send you. So you're going to go having plundered the Egyptians. And it's an image of God defeating them in battle. Defeating them in combat. So so that part we can see, we can understand. So what are some uh, theological implications of all this? Real quickly, a couple of things about God's character that we can gather from this name Yahweh. First, God is indescribable and incomprehensible. We've got to be really careful about our desire to completely explain and figure God out. Right? And, you know, theologians do this, and, and I'm not saying the- theology is bad. And I'm not saying there's no place for trying to sort out God's character and in, in his nature. But we have to know that ultimately God is beyond description, He's he's revealed something of Himself to us, but we can never fully figure Him out. But like Moses, what do we want? We want a God we can wrap our heads around, right? We want a God that we can figure out. We've got to be very careful that we do not put Him in a box. And honestly, one of the ways I think we do that in our modern world is we, uh, and, and you hear this a lot, people say, who is God? God is who? God is love, right? Is, does love describe the fullness of God's character and attributes? No. Right? It is one of his attributes. And all of his attributes are mingled and mixed. right? Uh, his, his attributes are not sorted out so that one day he's loving and the next day he's just. right? His attributes work simultaneously. But love is not the full and total description of who God is. Especially the modern Western definition of what love is. Because what that is, it means love is tolerant. God is therefore tolerant, right? Not biblical, right? Uh, We've got to be careful how we describe and define who God is. Um, second thing, He is always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. He is absolutely unchanging. As a God who's continually in the present, He is all that He has always ever been right now. I'm getting old, and sadly, I can, I can say I am not what I used to be, right? There's less of me. Well, in some ways there's less, in some ways there's more. <laughs> there's less hair, more in the middle, right? Um, so I'm not what I was, right? God is everything he always ever was. Likewise, I can honestly say, thankfully, that while I'm not what I was, I will be more than I am, right? I can look forward that while I'm losing strength and hearing and sight, um, hopefully I'm growing in godliness and maturity and wisdom, some days more than others. but I, I look forward to God growing me more. God will never become anything more than he is, right He is unchanging. Thirdly, he has all power and authority and that's kind of the point for Moses. He is ultimate being with ultimate power and authority. He can do everything he purposes. Maybe we can be confident in that um, so, so Moses tells them this is the name Yahweh the God of your fathers this is the name this is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations uh, let me wrap up with two two kind of key thoughts here first of all why don't we still call him Yahweh I mean his instructions here seem pretty straightforward and simple this is my name it's to be remembered forever I'm Yahweh call me Yahweh When was the last time you called God Yahweh? Ever? Ever? Okay, what happened? Why don't we call him Yahweh anymore? Well, um, just so you know, does any of your Bibles have the word Yahweh in it? Translated Yahweh. Okay, what translation are you using? NLC. Okay, so, oh, New Living. And it says Yahweh. Okay, so New Living does any others? So translators don't even do this. Translators have, 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 have for the most part, bailed on using this name. You can distinguish it in your Bible if you're using anything besides the New Living. Uh, Yahweh is always translated Lord with all capital letters. Well, that's what you meant. Oh, oh. I meant the word Yahweh. Yeah, no, Lord, L-O-R-D, right? But Lord is actually not really a translation of Yahweh. If we were to translate it literally, it would be either Yahweh or He is. Not Lord. Because Lord implies what? Well, King or Master. And that's not what's implied in the word Yahweh, right? It is not He is Master. That's part of it, but it's not all of it. So why don't we do this? Well, I I would suggest, for one, that uh, in your reading through the Old Testament, when you come across that word Lord, think Yahweh, think He is. But there's some reasons why we don't use this name anymore. Here they are, real quick. Number one, it's the name of the old covenant with Israel. God makes it clear it's, it's for them to use forever, generation after generation, as the covenant name of God's relationship with Israel. Right? We're no longer under that covenant. Um, they were to remember him as the covenant God, Yahweh. Um, secondly, Um, the the real problem is that in in English, even if we were to translate the word he is, it just doesn't mean the same thing. There are things about tense in Hebrew that we don't have in English. And so even if we were to translate in our Bible capital letters he is, it just wouldn't mean the same thing because we live in a different culture and a different language. Uh, It's good to be aware of it. Uh, but it doesn't mean the same thing. The bigger issue, though, is this. We live in a new covenant. We are under a new covenant. and In this covenant, um, Jesus is the name associated with this covenant. And We talked about it this morning with communion. We celebrated it in communion. I have ratified this covenant, Jesus said, in my blood. His is the name that now we honor and uphold. His is the name we remember. The name of the new covenant. Um and just but, but but just as Moses told them, you need to remember this name. In the same way, when we remember the name of Jesus, it, it is not just the name, right? It is, as Yahweh was, the embodiment of the very character and nature of God. And so as we use that name, as we reflect on the name of Jesus, it is not just his his designation, like Bob or Chuck or Fred. Right? It is a name filled with meaning. It is in Christ. He is the embodiment of the revealed character of God. So we need to reflect on that name and we need to understand what his life and teaching and death and resurrection reveal about who God is and what he does. Um, and what's interesting is... Um, Jesus himself does not abandon the old name. In fact, he takes it on for himself. Right? If you look in John 8:58 uh, and 59, which we may have this passage, I'm not sure. John 8:58 and 59 says this. Jesus said to the, the Jews, the, the religious leaders, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Okay? It's really bad grammar. It's great theology. Right? How did the Jews understand what Jesus said? Well, you read the next sentence. So they picked up stones to throw him to throw at him and kill him. How did the Jews understand what Jesus said? He's claiming deity. Right? He is claiming the name Yahweh for himself. right They didn't like it, but Jesus took that name on himself because he is everything that that name indicates. He's the fulfillment and perfection of everything. Yahweh meant in the Old Testament. So, how we apply it in our own lives is this. First, uh, th- there is power in that name. And we have been called to defeat uh, death and darkness the same way Moses was called to take on Pharaoh. Uh, and we do that in the power of Jesus' name. Um, Acts 4 7 through 12 says this. Uh, the background: Peter and, and the disciples and the apostles had been drugged into and arrested and drugged before the council of the Jews. And it says, when they sent uh, Peter and, and the apostles in their midst, they inquired. And note the words here: by what power or by what name did you do this? Right? By what power or what name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, "Rulers of the people and elders." If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, he had healed them, By what may, means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by him is this man standing before you well. And he goes on at the end, and he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Um, What we need to understand is that a name is not just the designation of a person. It is filled with the character of God and it is a license to use its authority and power. Moses was sent in the name of Yahweh as the authority, as the representative of God to speak and command Pharaoh what to do. In the same way, we need to learn to better use the authority and power of Jesus' name, not as a magic spell not as some kind of incantation, but understanding all that that name represents for us as his children. It is how we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. It means we come before the Father with the power and authority of Jesus, saying, God, you have promised on the blood of Jesus to fulfill your promises in our life. And we come, in essence, demanding, but politely, expecting you to work out those promises. Um, by it, we overcome sin and Satan and the flesh. Uh, we overcome the world. We conquer in Jesus' name. Um, Colossians 3.17 puts it this way. And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um So we do everything in the name of Jesus, in his power. All of our life should be lived in his power and by his authority. Secondly, we do it for the name of Jesus. A name was to expand. It was to be that person's fame and reputation. Jesus is the very glory and honor of God. And as we do things in his name... It is so that we may be bring glory and fame and honor to His name. Right? Uh, Mike f- finished praying this, but I want to just read it again in closing because it's uh, it's why we should live. Therefore, Psalm. Uh, I'm sorry, Philippians 2,9, 9 and ten. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him. That is Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Do we live to so elevate the name of Jesus that in the circles of those around us people are awed, they are exultant, and the power and wonder of who he is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the greatness of your name. And as we wrestle with uh, this whole name thing, we confess that in our culture, names don't have that kind of weight and impact. And so, Lord, we wrestle with um, what all this means. But Lord, we pray that your spirit would help us to understand how we are to honor your name but also how we are to live by the power and authority of the name of Jesus and Lord how it by it we do have authority to command demons we have authority to command sickness we have authority to to proclaim the gospel we have authority to proclaim life in Jesus we have the authority to um, to judge the world and um, and the authority and power to live a godly life. Lord, help us understand what that name means and to so cherish it and love it, to so worship it, to so live for your glory. We pray in Jesus' great and glorious name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.